all the research shows that happy people are more successful. But in our society, in our culture, we believe that by being successful, it will bring you happiness. And that's actually not true. Resilience and happiness are the topics of today's episode. I had the pleasure of talking with writer, speaker, and podcaster Mari Skelton about her research into resilience and mental well-being after she experienced a life-changing event. Mari has represented Australia in volleyball, had a successful corporate career, and always considered herself to be positive and resilient. But after an accident in 2017 turned everything upside down, she began researching how people cope with major life changes and why some people are able to deal with whatever life throws at them while others struggle. In this episode, we're going to break down the three key foundations the most resilient people build and balance in their lives. Good morning, Murray. How are you this morning? I'm well, thanks. And thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm going to be talking about all the pillars of happiness and resilience. And where I'd like to start before we get into talking about all your research is what was the event for you that really led you down the path that you're on now? So we're going to dive straight into a deep and personal story. So I hope you're ready for the, for the roller coaster. I had grown up in Australia and followed what our society and our culture thinks is the, you know, the right thing to do. I went to school, I got good grades, I went to university and I started a corporate career and I had played volleyball and, and represented my country and was ticking all the boxes that everyone says you should tick and thought I was you know doing pretty well if I do say so myself until 2017 and I was overseas with my best friend traveling through Cambodia and Vietnam and we as many other people do got on a moped and were doing a tour of central Vietnam and I had an accident and came off the bike and tumbled down a mountain and I, I nearly died and I was very, very lucky, but the injuries I sustained were significant and landed me in hospital for three months and many years of rehab, 12 surgeries. It was a long and bumpy road <laughs> to, to recovery. And I found that, you know, being an ex-athlete, that the physical recovery, you know, just needed time and work, but the mental recovery was what threw me for a loop. So I had the accident and, and that was horrible and all the things that you would expect from having a, a significant trauma. But months later, when I was being discharged from hospital and I was so excited to eat a hamburger or go to the toilet when I wanted to go to the toilet or sleep in and, and not be in hospital and on their routine, I was really excited to go home. And it was only couple of weeks after I got home that I hit rock bottom my world fell out from underneath me and I was depressed and it took quite a while for me to come out of that uh, and it was only really through sheer dumb luck that I came out the other side again and and that really kick-started a long path to today which has been to discover what makes people happy and what it was that changed in that moment when I thought it was meant to be a happy time in my life and there were things I was looking forward to and why did why did things fall apart then 
And so I've been writing a book and doing research and I've, I've spoken to hundreds of people around the world to find out what makes people resilient and what makes people happy. And rather than focusing on fixing things when they go wrong, looking at who are the ones that are succeeding because today's world is crazy and my story was extreme, but there are so many people out there who day to day are just struggling with the change and the volume of uncertainty and things that just happen in our lives in the 21st century and, and are not coping or are just on autopilot a little bit as well and not living their best and happiest lives. So that's kind of my story and I've, I've now spent a whole lot of time researching and I write and blog and podcast and, and have really become a mental health advocate because I feel like I was never taught this. I, I don't know about you, but studied maths and science and and all of that at school, but I was never taught how to live. And that's such a shame. Mm, yeah. So would you say your life now and your priorities and focuses now are totally different than they were before you had the accident? Absolutely. And, and I am so focused every day on happiness. And there's a double uh, edged sword to that, which we can get to in a little bit, but I, I am happy now. And the irony is all the research shows, and we were talking before the show just before, but I'll mention it again. There's a book by Sean Acker called The Happiness Advantage. All the research shows that happy people are more successful, but in our society, in our culture, we believe that by being successful, it will bring you happiness. And that's actually not true. And so the irony is that I'd been following this script, whether I'd really, you know, thought about it too hard or not, I can't really say, but I'd been following this script that success would bring me happiness and really living a good life. I, you know, I, I'm privileged. I acknowledge that. <laughs> Australia is a great country. And I was living a good life, but I wasn't living the life I live now, which is a, a joy and a satisfaction that I get from being alive that I didn't have before. And it's taken time and effort and a focus on that. But ironically, I've had more job offers. I've had more success career-wise since flipping that script than I did before. So it's actually something that I'm really passionate about sharing with other people. We've got it backwards and we really need to flip the focus yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, that is a really great point that you bring up there. And I think it's so common that we look at life and go, I'll be happy when I get into a good university. I'll be happy mm -hmm. when I get a good job and I've graduated. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when... I lose 10 kilos, you know, anything that you put a when on yep. when I think the real point is we can and we need to be happy where we are now so that we can mm -hmm. progress forward in our life. Yeah, and what you've described there is what researchers like to call the hedonistic treadmill. And what that does is it makes you postpone your happiness until a certain point. And it's true that when you get that promotion or you lose that 10 kilos, you do have that moment of satisfaction, but it's a moment and it's only short-lived. It doesn't significantly increase your day-to-day well-being and satisfaction levels and so you're putting off putting off putting off until a day where you get a spike and then you're back to normal again really quickly so it's not a sustainable way of looking at happiness and that's really what I'm advocating for is 
understanding the social constructs that we all live uh, within and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to buy into success as the main driver for what I do day in, day out. And I'm also, and we did mention this as well before, I'm also going to get rid of the guilt that comes with prioritising my happiness so that I can be the best person I can be for others around me and for the world. And you'll find that a lot of the world's happiest people are the ones who are really kicking goals. They're, they're tackling big issues and they're making a difference either to, you know, a small community of people around them or, you know, the, the, to the world or, you know, to certain areas that really spark their passion and joy. They're the happiest people that are really kicking goals. Absolutely. Why is it that we do that and we postpone our happiness for a certain event to take place? Mostly it's because that's how society has been set up, particularly in capitalist societies. So on the 20th of March, we celebrated World Happiness Day and the UN puts out a report every year. And in 2021, they focused a lot on COVID and what happened in in 2020. But they also noted in that report a couple of years ago that the countries that are most capitalist and most driven by material things are also less happy than other countries who focus on other aspects of living, such as family. So throughout a lot of Asian cultures, there's a strong emphasis on family. But for our culture in Australia here, we're sort of a little bit in between. We, we definitely still have the pop culture and the social pressure to have a nice car, have a good house, get the white picket fence, have the 2.3 children, you know, and to follow that that path. And I guess what we're saying now and what the field of positive psychology is really showing is that we should be stopping to question that and, and pulling away from that. And so America is definitely one of the countries that strongly gravitates towards material things and that impacts their happiness levels. But you've got other Western countries, so we don't have to become Eastern, but we've got other Western countries, particularly the Nordic countries, Finland, Sweden, and and a whole lot of countries that have really good socialist policies and they're typically at the top of the World Happiness Report list. So Finland, for the fourth time in a row, has come out as number one. New Zealand is at number eight, and I think we came in at, I should know this off the top of my head, 12th or 13th. Yeah. (laughs) So we're not doing too badly here. But you've got to fight those pulls to buying a new car and, and making that a priority versus just meeting up with a friend for coffee once a week and making sure that you're getting that social connection or, you know, whatever happiness measures you're putting into your, your, your week. Yeah. And you talk about as well, or the relationship between happiness and resilience in your research, what did you find were the key characteristics or attributes or practices that the most resilient people have? Yeah, so I went looking at resilience and landed at happiness. They're they're so interlinked and if you get your, and when I say happiness, it's not just those momentary moments of joy, which are great too, but they're also balanced out by the moments of uh, pain and, and bad things that happen to us. We're talking about that standard 
level that you sit at without the good and the bad things that happen during your day. And if you have a higher general standing happiness level, you also tend to have much stronger mental resilience. And so when the bad things do come your way, you can bounce back from them faster. So I found that they're so interlinked with each other that happiness and resilience really do go hand in hand. And I also found that there's three three foundations that the strongest and the most mentally resilient and happiest people had. So the first one is strong social connections. And this is uh, proven by so many different research and studies and the biggest one to mention is the Harvard longitudinal study on happiness and they've looked at people since the early 20th century and followed them through life and the one thing that they found that had the biggest impact on people's overall happiness through their life was strong relationships. Now that doesn't mean that you have to get married so if you're single don't fret and it it doesn't mean that you have to have kids and it doesn't mean that you have to have 50 friends. What it does mean is that you've got two or three strong relationships around you that you nurture and that are meaningful to you and that you feel you can depend on those people. So the test that I like to use is could you call them up from jail at two in the morning and would they come? I love that. <laughs> yeah, someone you can be vulnerable and authentic in front of that you're real with and that understands you. So that's the first foundation and, and that's so important. Relationships are just so important to our mental well-being. And we did see with COVID that a lot of people struggled with loneliness and with the interruption in that, that social aspect of our lives. So that's the first one. The second one is purpose and meaning. So for a lot of us, that sort of by default ends up being our job because it's the biggest thing we do with our week. (laughs) But very few of us actually uh, find true passion from our job. For a lot of us, it's kind of okay and we get some satisfaction from doing it, but it pays the bills and that's mostly why we're doing it. So if that's your if that if that's you then what else are you doing in your week that gives you passion and it could be coaching your kids baseball team or it could be painting or for us it could be podcasting and talking to people there's so many different things out there and it's such a subjective thing but are you finding time in your week to do something that you're passionate about and that brings you meaning So that's the second one. And a lot of us do our jobs and that's about it, particularly if you've got young families and and kids take a lot of time and, and they should. But are you taking the time? And I say this to all busy mothers out there. Are you without the guilt making sure you take time for yourself to do something that you love? And if you're not, then you're not going to be the best version of yourself for people around you either. So that's the second foundation. And then the third one is really a very big bucket and it's healthy mind and body habits. And the word habit there is really important because the people who practice healthy mind and body habits are the ones that weather whatever life throws at them well. And it's really about filling up your cup so that when the bad stuff happens, you've got 
something in reserve that you can draw from. So the healthy body things are things that we all know we should do <laughs> and struggle to do, but it's about finding the right, right things. So get enough sleep. That makes a huge difference to your happiness levels or your ability to even enjoy happiness. So if you've had a bad night's sleep the day before you get promoted, you won't enjoy the feeling of being promoted as much as if you'd had a good night's sleep. That's how much sleep matters to our happiness. That's incredible. Um, obviously, drinking water, eating healthily, all of that physical nurturing helps with your mental resilience and your, your mental strength and happiness levels and exercise. Exercise is the big one and it also floods you with a bunch of really good, happy-feeling chemicals as well, so natural chemicals in our minds, so the dopamine and serotonin it's, it's such a good way to stave off mental health decline. So if you're naturally prone to depression or anxiety, it can really balance you out. And then for everyone else, it's, it's just a great way, again, to just keep putting fuel in the tank so that if something bad happens, you've kind of built up sort of an immunity to, to the bad things that happen in life to all of us. And then the, the healthy mind part, there's so much in there as well, but meditation, yoga, mindfulness is a big one in today's world. So just making sure you're present when you're doing things, you're doing it mindfully. So turning off your phone or turning off other distractions and focusing is definitely proven, scientifically proven in so many different ways to just help us reset and calm the noise so that we can move forward with a lot more strength and resilience. And the last one that I can't advocate for enough is gratitude. Practicing gratitude. And again, this sounds really airy-fairy at times. And us Aussies are cynics, right? So practicing gratitude just sounds so it did to me, like a bit lame, but we are biologically wired to look for the negative. And if we didn't, we'd get eaten by the lion, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. you've got to look for what's negative out there. But in today's day and age, we're not being eaten by lions. We're still biologically wired to look for the negative. And practicing gratitude is about balancing the scales. It's about focusing on the positive as well. So every evening before bed, I like to have a conversation with my hubby and we say, you know, what were three things that went well for you today? If you say, what are three things you're grateful for? You run out of things pretty quickly, <laughs> but three things that went well for you today. And we have some really interesting open conversations, even after 15 years of being together, that it you know, we bond over. So it's been a really good way uh, for us to continue building our relationship as well as a way to, you know, really find that we are blessed and so privileged in our lives. You know, particularly Australia is such a lucky country. And to remember to scan for the positive. And the more you do that, the more you do see the positive and the more optimistic you become in general. And being optimistic is definitely one of the keys to being happier all the time. Mm. So that's a really good one that has so many flow on effects. If you don't want to have a chat with your, you know, roommate or your husband or your kids or whatever about it, then just journaling is a really good way to, to bring gratitude into your life. 
Mm, that's great I actually really like the idea of having the conversation though because the more that you can vocalize it and just hear yourself talking about Mm -hmm. the things that did go well that you are grateful for I think that helps you also solidify that in your mind and it makes it easier to see other things that are going well and you are grateful for absolutely it's a snowball effect and like with everything you've just got to put in the time and actually commit to doing it yes (laughs) absolutely happiness is like going to the gym if you put in the time and the effort you see the rewards but we were never taught that we needed to do that and a lot of us just assume that happiness comes to people when they're not sad you know or that it it should naturally happen and unfortunately you, you need to put in some time and effort so those three things the social connections purpose and meaning and healthy mind and body just so critical to having a happy life Mm, yeah that's great was there one of these things or a combination of these things that helped you in your recovery process absolutely and again it was just dumb luck at that stage I hadn't done all the research or, or put it all Uh, into a system in my mind so as I said I'd played volleyball for Australia and the year that I had the accident I was captain of the New South Wales volleyball team and so having the accident really cut a huge community out of my life just just like that you know one day I had friends and activities and social gatherings and sport as well which is you know good for you as we mentioned before and then the next day I had none of it I was in hospital and very isolated and even when I came out of hospital I became even more isolated because I was still in a wheelchair I couldn't get out of my home and I didn't have that army of health professionals around me day in day out so what had happened when I left hospital was all of those well, the few relationships that I did have disappeared completely and I had all these people who'd visited me in hospital kind of think, okay, well, she's been discharged. I don't need to be there as much. So all of a sudden I was really lonely. So first foundation was gone. Purpose and meaning. I was still so ill that I couldn't really work. So I was working a little bit from home, but I couldn't sustain more than an hour or so a day. So I really was just staring at a wall for a very long time each and every day so purpose and meaning was gone and healthy mind and body I I had been told just just you know rest rest and recover and so that's all I really was doing watching a lot of Netflix (laughs) and and that's again a very empty and lonely and boring life but it is a life that a lot of people who are made redundant suddenly find themselves in it's a life that a lot of people who retire suddenly find themselves in so it's not necessarily that you have to almost lose your life to find yourself in this situation and a lot of people from very for various reasons do end up in very similar situations and we gravitate towards the tv to fill long periods of time etc so it's, it's worth remembering that. And what happened that accidentally brought me out of this was that one of my good friends came over and said, okay, we're setting up a volleyball club in Sydney and I want you to be the head coach. And I came up with a million excuses and he had an answer for every single one of them. <laughs> I was still in a wheelchair. I wasn't going to be able to get there. 
the men wouldn't want to listen to me you know I was just a I was just a girl <laughs> things like that every single one of them he had an answer for and so the following week I found myself at tryouts <laughs> running a training from my wheelchair and lo and behold the the men in so it was Sydney's LGBTIQ volleyball club and they were fabulous fabulous um, men who really didn't look at me like I was broken as a lot of my other friends had Uh, they didn't know me from a bar of soap and they didn't know what had happened and I formed some really strong friendships that uh, have stayed with me you know they've stayed with me till today and I got out I was seeing people it gave me purpose I was coaching and mentoring people to be better so and it also gave me a little bit of exercise once I was starting to get through my rehab a little bit more and out of the wheelchair so it really ticked a lot of boxes from that point of view and slowly I started coming out of depression as well so you need a pushy friend really yeah (laughs) oh that's that's awesome yeah yeah but it was it was dumb luck at the time and and a pushy friend and a lot of those things came back and then other things started coming back and I started enjoying life a little bit more as well Mm. so it's not a great place to be in and depression unfortunately is something that so many people around the world deal with so one in five Australians will suffer from a mental health condition this year alone and a lot of the time that's depression and anxiety and it it can hit anyone Mm. yeah absolutely and it can come out of nowhere as well yeah yeah suddenly you know one day everything is is just as it was and the next day something can happen and it can be totally different absolutely and so that's why again these I have three foundations that I talk about but Dr Martin Seligman has a PERMA model and then a lecturer and researcher at Harvard University Tal Ben-Shahar he has a model called SPIRE so there's there's different ways of looking at it but they all amount to the same thing relationships purpose and meaning and healthy mind and body and there's a lot in that healthy mind and body bucket but meditation, mindfulness, being kind to others and gratitude are some of the big ones in there. Yeah. So when you were doing your research, what were the kinds of people that you talked to? Because as well, you come from a journalism background, so you know, yeah. always interviewing and looking for answers. So what were the kinds of people that you talked to to draw out this information? So I started by looking at people who'd been through trauma or who'd been ill or sick so cancer survivors and I found really quickly that my I wasn't alone a lot of people who come home from hospital after significant illness or trauma end up depressed and it catches them off guard a lot of the time they're not warned to look out for it but just like me the second you're sent home there's this collective sigh of relief that you made it you know you're healthy you're you're recovered but the the reality is there's a long long road to recovery for a lot of people and you still or you almost need the people around you more when you first get home from hospital because you have to do your own cooking and cleaning and bathing and and none of those things are easy when you're when you're sick so that was a really good moment of healing for me to find other people who'd 
uh, struggled just like I did when they'd left hospital. From there, it snowballed really quickly. So from there, I spoke to a few of my ex-teammates in America and they put me in touch with other people in America who had been student athletes. So they had put all the time and effort into a pursuit, just like you do when you're sick, you're 100% dedicated to getting better. Well, these student athletes put all their time and effort into their sport and then they graduate and it's gone, bang. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a lot of them don't know what to do. And a lot of university students without the student athlete component there have this same issue if they don't find a job or something else to direct their attention to or find purpose about if you struggle straight out of university with finding a job it can be a very lonely and tough time emotionally and uh, a lot of people go into depression following graduation from university so that kind of made me think where are there other moments in life where there's such an abrupt and definitive change so I spoke to quite a few people in the states again who'd separated from the military And there's a lot more research in this area about how people struggle after serving their country for so long to all of a sudden re-enter civilian life. Now, they've obviously got a lot of PTSD and trauma, mental trauma that comes with that a lot of the time, but not always. But they were going through exactly the same thing as well. They'd finish up, yay, I finally get to, you know, go to my family's birthdays, I'll be in the country and I'll get to do that. I get to sleep in or I get to have a few too many beers on a Saturday night or whatever it is that they wanted to do. They were looking forward to these moments. And lo and behold, six months later, they were depressed and wondering why, (laughs) what happened? It was meant to be that much better and and good. And again, they felt sideswiped by the fact that all of a sudden, things weren't good and they didn't know what had gone wrong. And then I also looked at people who retire. And again, the stats there are really not great. 40% of people who retire end up depressed within a year. Mm. And from there, I looked at people who'd been made redundant, which again, it can be a big shock to the system. But I also spoke to quite a few people who'd been made redundant and took their pink slip and went skipping out the door and couldn't have been happier (laughs) and they'd loved their jobs they'd loved their companies they'd been made redundant and they were like woo it's like (laughs) what have you got (laughs) what is it that you're doing that the rest of us aren't so for me it wasn't so much about focusing on the amount of people who was struggling it was about looking at those people who took a major disruption a major change in their life and weathered it well and what was it that they all had in common and it came back to those three pillars so I spoke to athletes who finished their Olympic careers and those three pillars were present in people when they were happy before and they were happy beforehand But the people who transitioned through that big life change well also maintained those three pillars after. And the ones who didn't transition well went from having three strong pillars to having just one left standing, for instance. So athletes, military, they're they're losing their meaning and purpose pillar, bang. A lot of the time they're also losing their social connections pillar as well because they're so interlinked bang and they hadn't thought to replace them pre-transition if they had a chance to plan for that transition 
Mm. So it's really about balance and being aware of that. And if you're planning a retirement or you're planning a major move to a new country or city or you know that you've got a big career transition coming up, it might be really tempting to just take a break, you know. I want a holiday when I'm done with my work and that's that's all well and good and we do need to rest. That's really critical and important, but you can't rest for too long and you should have a plan in place for after that two-week holiday or four-week holiday, whatever it is that you need to start to do something that brings people into your life that you can bond with and form relationships with that, that makes you happy, makes your soul sing and makes you want to get up out of bed in the morning. So something that gives you purpose and then also that you maintain through it all, even through your holidays and your breaks, some healthy mind and body practices. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. As well, talking about the healthy mind and body practices, the word habits that you mentioned earlier and building mm-hmm. that in. So it becomes more automatic. You don't have to force it. So yep. like you said, you go on a break and you can continue to do that because it's an automatic practice at that point. Yeah. And I think some of this stuff is really just boring and not fun. Who wants to eat healthy all the time? And who wants to eat the salad, not the burger (laughs) and go to the gym? I have to say, I hate going to the gym. I really do. I know that's not popular, (laughs) but, but there's a great book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. It's a bestseller at the moment. Yeah. And if if you struggle like me to make those healthy mind and body activities into habits, then have a read of that book and find ways to make it fun or interesting or exciting so that you can make them into habits. Because you can't just start a gym routine and eating healthy when everything's fallen to shit. I say shit. I love to say shit on the podcast. (laughs) Sorry, I've said it three times now. (laughs) Yeah, but when everything falls apart around you, that's not when you have to start this. It should already be there before so that it maintains you through it. And it can become a real crutch to help you through tough times and to help your mental resilience if you've put in the work beforehand. Mm, Definitely. And another important point that coming from talking about for example athletes you mentioned a lot of the pillars are all in the same bucket in what they do so do you think it's important to spread the three pillars out and not focus everything into your sport or into your career so when you do leave for whatever reason you do have that already there to fall back on so you're not just losing everything all at once I think Look, that was something that I had definitely been thinking about early on. I was like, why do people do this to themselves? But there is something amazing and inspirational about the people who give up everything else for the ultimate pursuit of excellence. Mm. And if that is winning a gold medal, 100 metre, you know, running, you know, being the best at the world, creating the next rocket that will take us to Pluto or like whatever it is that you are passionate about I would never ever ever say don't give it everything you've got but what I would say is be really really careful Mm. because there will come a point pretty quickly for a lot of people where if you only focus on that passion if, if all you're doing is trying to get that gold medal and it's to the exclusion of forming friendships And it's the exclusion of all of your other healthy mind and body 
I mean, obviously going for an Olympic gold medal means you're probably eating well <laughs> and doing exercise. <laughs> but if, if that's your thing and you're neglecting other parts of your life, then if you get injured or fired or something changes that's out of your control, you have nothing, absolutely nothing. And that's when you're most at risk of severe depression very quickly. So, and, and people struggle with losing that thing, definitely. So, and as they should, but you've just got to be aware going in that you're giving up the other things that will prop you up if things go wrong. Mm. and look at finding time to maybe get some time in there so can you still meet up with your best mate from high school and have a beer once a month and just keep that relationship that that flame just on low (laughs) and that relationship there so that you've still got it once you've come out the back of pursuing your passion so that I'd say that these people are, are amazing amazing human specimens you'd never say no don't go pursue your passion but be aware and have your eyes open and particularly workaholics Mm. I'd say they're the one type of people who a lot of the time they're not that passionate about what they're doing they're just a bit of a perfectionist type of personality they get satisfaction from their work but they're the ones that I would say is this all there is for you? Because right now that's all you're doing. And when that stops or goes away or you retire and you've found that you neglected your family for the last 20 years, you've neglected your health for the last 20 years and you're about to retire, that, that's going to hit you really hard if you don't try and put some time and effort into finding that balance again. Mm. Absolutely. So I, that's a yes and a no. It's a very politician's answer for you. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very loaded question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. So I guess from all of this to kind of sum it all together, if we can, what is the biggest takeaway that you want someone to have from the episode today? There are so many of us out there who are on autopilot and who are about to be hit by a train because life happens to all of us or even worse, who never ever get hit by that train but just live an average life their entire life. Life just happens to them and that is the saddest thing I can think of when you could instead flip the script and choose happiness and prioritise happiness in your life. And it's not about chasing happiness. It's about doing those three foundations regularly, day in, day out. And by doing those things, you will be happier. You'll have a happier life and be far more inspired and motivated by life. And that is a beautiful thing. So to answer your question, I would say choose happiness without all of the false fake positivity and and stuff that comes around all of this but choose happiness for real and put in the work just like going to the gym and you'll find that your life can be so much more and so much more consistent when things go bad and who wouldn't want that that is a great answer that's awesome so you run a podcast as well tell me a little bit about that 
<laughs> sure. So my podcast is called Happiness for Cynics. And I was such a cynic. before. Now I find myself saying things and rolling my eyes at myself. So again, I had come from a traditional Aussie perspective on life, work hard and, and good things will come to you. And life is good, don't get me wrong, but I also suffered burnout at one point in my corporate career and really just life was a bit out of whack and I didn't know any better. And so I've partnered up with a person I've known for a number of years now who is the complete opposite. So Pete is a really good friend and he has been practicing yoga for 20 years and has really bought into a lot of Eastern philosophy about how the mind and body are connected. And I used to literally roll my eyes at some of the things he would say. And now I find myself going, really, where's the, you know, the research behind that? And let me understand that more. <laughs> so between us, we both host Happiness for Cynics, which is a podcast. It's a weekly podcast just for 20 minutes. And really, it's meant to be there for people to remember to prioritize happiness in their lives every week so it's a little reminder if you can't journal or you can't practice gratitude just 20 minutes a week of focusing on thinking about your happiness and ways that you can bring more happiness into your life with a bit of a laugh between the two of us as well <laughs> awesome I love the concept and I love the title <laughs> of the podcast as well <laughs> Yes, it's just so hard. And as I said, Aussies are so cynical. So <laughs> it's been uh, really hard, I think, to get people to be open to trying some of this stuff. And, you know, as I said, who doesn't want to be happy? We really should get over ourselves a little bit, I think, <laughs> and give it a go. Absolutely. That is fantastic. Mari, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to have a chat. And maybe there's one person out there who might try a gratitude journal tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Mari or listen to her podcast, Happiness for Cynics, you can find links in the show notes below. Thank you for joining me on Mindset Mastery. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app so more people like you can join us on this journey. Until next time, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.